The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So this topic of confidence that I want to focus on today is particularly alive for me because um, it really was very much present for me in this last long retreat that I did. So I just wanted to to first just offer a few words on confidence. And when I'm talking about confidence, I'm talking particularly in respect to our practice, the Dharma. But of course, as you will see, uh, when there's, there's not a clear demarcation, when there is confidence in the practice and the Dharma, it's influencing all of our life. So confidence is really what propels us to bring about whatever we have chosen to do. So, for example, without confidence in the practice and the Dharma, you wouldn't be here today. It's also uh, important to keep in mind that confidence is not permanent. Confidence is not something we get once and for all. Sometimes it's there. Sometimes it's not. In some situations, it escapes us, and other times it's there. We can think of confidence as a steady conviction of what is, as in the unfolding of things, in the knowing of what we want. Is a about recognizing the power of the present moment, of following this inner compass, of putting less importance of what will the others think of me. And confidence is really devoid of vanity. It's not about self-aggrandizement, but rather a clear knowing of our strengths and weaknesses, and knowing how to flow wisely between those two. So if we stop and think a little bit about confidence and the hindrances, when there is confidence, some of the hindrances tend to be absent. For, for example, doubt, right? Doubt, we can say it's the opposite as confidence. When there is confidence, it's not likely that we're going to have restlessness and worry. And also when there's confidence, it's not likely that we're going to have sloth and torpor. So you see that that's already three of the five hindrances. You see how, how important it is to cultivate confidence. Now, the development of confidence is somewhat mysterious. Confidence has its own growth timing. We can't will it. But we can say in general that if we follow the wise, gradual training of the Buddha, confidence will grow. 
Now, when I'm using the term confidence, the the Pali term that um, that I'm translating it from is sada, and I'm going to put it in the in the chat just for some of you who have never seen it written. There is sada. And sada is most often translated as faith. You know, the faith implying the adopting of religious beliefs. But for us in the Western world, faith implies not only adopting of religious beliefs, but that also cannot be proven. And so for some of us, then, the term faith is a little problematic. Not for all, but for some of us. I recently taught a residential retreat and gave a talk on faith. And afterwards, I noticed that there were several people that had some problem with the term faith. And it made me remember that I myself had a problematic relation to the term faith and that I had to gradually reframe my relation to this term faith. Now, faith can also mean trust or confidence in someone or something. So that's why I um, like to use, and especially for this talk, I will use the term confidence most of the time. So sada or confidence, as I said before, is essential in our practice because it is what propels us to show up for the teachings and to meditate regularly. Now, there is something that um, found tremendous resonance when I began many years ago to study the Dharma and practice the Dharma. And that is that in the discourses, the instructions about sada are very much very much proactive we are encouraged to investigate how is it that we arrive to confidence we are to ask ourselves what do i have faith and confidence in and how did i arrive to this faith and confidence so we are encouraged a lot to come to this confidence through our own lived experience. So we hear the teachings from a teacher, but then you were supposed to try them out ourselves and really see, do they work for me? Do they really make a difference? Am I suffering less? And this is the way that then you begin to build your confidence. So what are some other ways we can cultivate confidence in our practice? For sure, applying what we call right effort in this gradual training, the gradual training that includes three very important areas, the area of ethics, which is the basic, the basis from which we depart, the area of the meditative practice of concentration, which is a wonderful way to gather the mind, and that in itself allows us to see clearly, which brings us to the third area, which is wisdom. 
when we gather the mind, we're able to see clearly, and that brings us to wisdom. Confidence will also arise, will grow, if we consciously acknowledge every time we notice, oh, I've made a step forward. I used to get upset about this. I used to get really worried about that. And I'm much more patient or I'm much more spacious. So we also cultivate confidence by consciously cultivating skillful states of mind, such as generosity, such as joy, equanimity, The aspect of deepening our understanding of the Dharma will, of course, also increase our confidence. And, of course, also when we have insights, which is this beautiful event that happens spontaneously, where almost without concept, it's like, I know this. This is the insight that these are the gifts that, that arise from us within us when we've set the conditions we've practiced we studied the dharma and then these insights come where we see through some of the realities of our existence now we can experience confidence in our daily activities one way and in meditation and and also retreats in another way in meditation as i expressed when we were doing the guided meditation we want to experience confidence in an embodied way so how does it feel in my body and it's not something rational how does it feel in my body this confidence combined with concentration can be a very powerful way to heal old wounds that we all have lodged in our body. And so I wanted to share um, a description of the presence and confidence of confidence um, of how I experienced it, which was really in an energetic way um, and I experienced this during meditation in, in a long retreat. So, of course, this is something very subjective, but, you know, if it helps you, this is just a, a, my own experience of how this embodied confidence showed up. In absorption, confidence made an appearance, whirling slowly lightly from head to feet. Wounds were found upon reaching the abdomen, some old and forgotten. Confidence folded them gently into a rotating embrace. The wounds, not knowing what to do, abandoned themselves to the whirling dervish who whispered, come, dance with me, it's time to heal. So this is just one way that we can 
at some point experience confidence in our practice. And when confidence grows, we become a refuge for ourselves. I hope that some of you have the, the, even just a little tiny taste of how it feels when we become the refuge. The beautiful words of the Buddha that said, be a refuge unto yourself. Now, a refuge is a place where we go to be safe. And in this practice, being safe means, above all, being safe from our minds. So when we say we take refuge in the triple gem, it means that we're placing our trust in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And we will unpack this a little bit more later. It is an expression of confidence. It is a conscious aligning ourselves with the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. The Buddha, the teacher, the Dharma, the teachings, and the Sangha, the community. It is also a way of protecting ourselves when confidence falters. We can find solace in a teacher, in the teachings and the community of practitioners. Now, when we take formal refuge, like in a ritual, Gil Fronstow does this every now and then, um, it is a completely voluntary act. And that is the way that is described in the discourses. It is a personal choice that we go for refuge. Some of you who have participated in residential retreat knows that at the beginning of the retreat, we chant the refuges. This is one of the few devotional practices that we engage in in our insight tradition. So, when we are dealing with a devotional practice, we have to be sure that we take the time to investigate what does it mean to me? And not only just go through the motions because everybody else is doing it. Taking refuge in the triple gem can be a beautiful expression of faith or confidence in what we're practicing. However, if we don't stop to inquire what the significance is for us, it just becomes an empty gesture. I like very much that in the discourses, we are taught to be discerning about devotional practices. We are not only to engage in them only out of our own conviction and really make a, an effort to see what does it mean to me, but also we are encouraged not to get attached to them. 
these rituals have a, a lovely way to connect us to the past, to create community, to allow us to gather the mind and to feel our relation to the practice. But we can also get overzealous with them. And so it's like, no, we don't want to get attached to any of these devotional practices. Gail Fransdahl states that taking refuge is considered one of the most significant acts of faith in this practice. So let us look a little bit into uh, what what is it? Um, what is the meaning of taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha? So let's begin by refuge in the Buddha. Refuge in the Buddha, above all, is confidence in ourselves. That's the basis. That's really the ground. It's the confidence in ourselves, in our capacity to find refuge within us, to feel the confidence in our capacity to free ourselves from the suffering the way the Buddha did. We all have the possibility in us to become free. And perhaps in our lifetime, we won't be able to free ourselves totally from suffering, but we can acknowledge that Okay, we suffer a little bit less than we did three years ago. Okay, that's great. That's very important to take note of it. Taking refuge in the Buddha can also mean refuge in a teacher. We don't have access to the Buddha, but we do have access to teachers that teach the words of the Buddha. And here again, this wonderful uh, instruction in the discourses that says, be discerning how you go about choosing a teacher. We are to make sure we take the time to ascertain that a particular teacher is worth our trust. Does the teacher live what she, he, they teach or not? So going on to refuge in the Dharma. When I think of the refuge in the Dharma, I, I like to uh, remind myself of this quote that I really, the first time I found it, I, I liked it so much. This is from the Buddha. Shortly after his enlightenment, he says, this dharma that I have attained is profound, hard to see, hard to understand, peaceful and sublime, unattainable by mere reasoning, subtle to be experienced by the wise. So, after his enlightenment, the Buddha knew this is very difficult to convey because it's so subtle. And he actually had doubts if he should teach or not. But out of compassion, he thought, I'm just going to give it a try. It's not easy to teach this. And even more difficult for us that we are not enlightened. 
<laughs> the Buddha at least was enlightened, but we teachers are not enlightened. And so what is really wonderful about thinking about this quote is that the Buddha decided, okay, I will teach out of compassion and I will try to put out there my teachings in the most accessible way so that people can also walk this path, train themselves in this train, in this gradual training and have a possibility to find freedom. So when we take refuge in the Dharma is that because we acknowledge that there is so much wisdom accumulated there from centuries, not only from the Buddha, but all the monks that practice and put together this body of teachings. Here, we are also in the teachings are encouraged to ask over and over again, how is it that you arrive to your beliefs, to your faith? These teachings are meant to be lived not just heard or studied. We all need to make sure we make a connection between the teachings in our daily lives. And I think this is one of the most beautiful challenges that we have. I like to ask myself that question, like, okay, and how do I apply it? How do I apply it to my living? So I'll just say a few words about refuge in the Sangha. We take refuge in the Sangha because we want to cultivate this sense of community, even as this small group meditating together today, we feel supported by each other the presence of the other, even if we're not physically present, but we know we are together. We tend to share the same values. We share this aspiration to free ourselves from suffering. And so the, the longer we have walked this path, Sangha members will have more and more wisdom. And when we share, joys and difficulties with people who are on this path, there will be most likely a wise response. Perhaps you have noticed, some of you, how it is when we share a difficulty with somebody who's not in the practice. Let's say I had a difficulty with somebody. If there is not that wisdom that we cultivate in in the Dharma of constantly looking in and taking responsibility for our own actions. The other person most likely, who's not involved in the Dharma and is not accustomed to turn the attention inward, is going to have 
the tendency of fanning the flames of anger by blaming the other person. Oh, that other person is blah, 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 judging the other person. And what happens? We end up feeling worse afterwards, right? But if we talk about it with a person who is in, in this, on this path, after sharing this, most likely we're going to feel better. There'll be the sense of, I was heard. We both put our heads and hearts together to see how is it that I can bring more understanding, more clarity into this challenge? How is the other person suffering that makes him or her act this way? So it's very satisfying to have that support of Sangha members and also sharing joys. Have you noticed that some people who lack the wisdom maybe are not even capable in sharing joys? In, in, our, in our tradition, we have this wonderful um, concept of mudita, the capacity to share the joy of somebody else. It implies generosity. So ultimately, when we take refuge in the triple gem, we are taking refuge in ourselves. And just to, to end this, I wanted to share something. I asked myself, well, what does, what does it imply for me? What, what comes up when I contemplate the idea of being a refuge unto myself. And the image that arose was, was a bit surprising. Um, what arose was this mosquito netting that I had over my bed in this three-month retreat that I was in last spring. And this mosquito netting was to protect me from the many, many insects that were um, in this place that I was in the middle of nature. So there were many, many critters. And there was this feeling at the end of making, at the end of the day of having made an effort of having been working with the mind and the heart and purifying the mind. There was something so beautiful and cozy of getting into this kind of cocoon and finding this refuge of rest of peace and quiet within myself. And so I again um, wrote something that I, I tried to express what it was um, and contrasted also to what happens in, in the world. Sometimes it is so hard for us when we connect with this part, this place in us of of harmony, of peace, of loving kindness. And we look at the news, we look at the wars, we look at the intrigues of politicians. It, it's, it's so contrasting. And this is something that also arose for me as I, I was trying to um, put into words how I experienced this finding a refuge. So, I'll share then what came up. Luminous white chrysalis 
surrounding and protecting, dwelling, trusting, resting at the intersection of the here and now of mind and heart, awake and spacious, well of peace and hope, of inexhaustible reserves that embraces and shields even when outside the furies of greed, anger, and delusion howl and destroy incessantly, aware of what is externally, internally, I abide as a refuge unto myself. Thank you for your attention. Let's close our eyes for a moment. Just allowing the words to settle. Maybe you can pose the question, and what is my expression of confidence? Is there self-confidence in my ability to, pro to make progress in this path? And if there is that self-confidence, how has it expressed itself? And how do I relate to the Buddha's words? Be a refuge unto yourself. Making a transition now to sharing, just acknowledging that the sharing is just another way of learning.
of clarifying the teachings. And so take a moment to contemplate what would be useful, helpful for you to express. Thank you. We can open our eyes. And if possible, I would love to hear a little bit from each one, if this is possible, since we're a small group. <clears throat> so who would like to start? Thank you, Kate. No, I really, really appreciated uh, what, what you said. Um, confidence is something that um, I've kind of always, always struggled with, really. Um, and um, I feel that, you know, I have been meditating and practicing for a very long time now. And um, I still um, am aware that, you know, in my meditations, um, you know, there's a lot of different thoughts going on, and um, often, I, you know, I feel feel some, but uh, I, I, I usually feel a degree of stillness afterwards. But it's 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 kind of up and down. But um, but what I have noticed is is that in in sort of in daily life, I think gradually um, I have sometimes, you know, I have felt a, a sense of. Hmm, a sense of life being more more manageable that even if it's difficult that that there are there are sort of resources within me and um i noticed today i i was meditating this this morning and um i was aware of my mind going into comparing and it was painful mm. and i just had this very strong gut feeling of Oh, I'm sorry about the phone. Um, a strong uh, gut feeling that this is this is a wrong path. This is not helpful, and uh, I kind of felt it in my body as as much as in my words, and as as much as in words in my mind. So um, yes, I, I just uh, off offer Thank that. Thank you, Kate. I I think that everybody can relate to what Kate is saying. And confidence is something that we all need to, to work on. Um, it's lovely what you describe of how you are noticing these changes in your daily life. Um, with the mind, uh, it's, it's something that is an ongoing, an ongoing work. Because there, again, it's not that once and for all you're going to be quiet, you're going to have a still mind when you sit to meditate. The mind is just like a mirror. It reflects the, the moment. And if there has been a lot of input, it's going to be agitated, period. It's just as straightforward as that. You know, it's like, you, do you throw one pebble into 
a pond or do you throw 10 pebbles into the pond into the into into the pond it's just a simple it's just as straightforward as that you know the more input we have the more ripples like with more pebbles and and so we just want to encourage ourselves not to take it personally um just to know whenever we can to be vigilant and 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 diminish the amount of the input and also be careful of the quality of the input be very very discerning of how much you let in as far as media reading movies uh, it's uh, it just agitates the mind thank you kate jan i think you you raised your hand no i was just saying hi to charles lee who just appeared. <laughs> okay oh hi charlie yes good to see you 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 have a, a lovely image of the, the stairwell is beautiful <laughs> um so who who would be so kind as to go next mark thank you uh well i've noticed well fortunately i've i've sat enough retreats and have experienced much of what you talked about but it's easy to forget as well when you get back in <laughs> yeah and much of it and how often I practice seems to be proportional to how much difficulty I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to forget and get sloppy. Yep. yep. You know, when things are going well or relatively well, you know, and then something happens and all of the things I think I'm taking refuge in, you know, my relationships, my job, my rent, home situation maybe threaten one or about you know and suddenly I get distressed and but fortunately I found under those conditions I said okay I guess I have to take time <laughs> and do this more violently and sometimes I have to be really force myself like because it sometimes it's distressed enough it's just, it's not like magic it goes away automatically but but i have enough confidence from the past i remember okay i've done this before i've had even more difficulty before mm-hmm. and i can do this <laughs> so that's what it means to me when i hear about this you know and it's just a reminder that it's great great and that's exactly the antidote that we are told to cultivate with a hindrance of doubt so whenever doubt is present we are encouraged to just bring to mind times when the practice has supported you. And, um, you know, uh, this connects also with what Kate said. We want to also be realistic. You know, I, I love uh, Joseph Goldstein's program that is called 5% Happier. And the reason I love it is because, you know how everything just touts, you know, we're going to change your life. We're going to make you totally happy. No, let's be realistic. 5%. Am I happier? 5%? Great. Yeah. So so that, that's also connected with what you were saying, Kate. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who would like to go for, next? Can I, can I call the way you appear in my screen? 
but if somebody would rather not speak, I don't want to force you, okay? So feel free to say, I, I, I'd rather remain silent. So that's totally fine. So, Charles Lee, since I now get to see your face, would you like to go next? <laughs> oh, sure. Um, I'm not sure that I have too much to 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 add, so I think actually I will pass. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Fred? About the only thing that I continue to reflect on about this is uh, I have... I have trouble with the word refuge. Ah, interesting. Okay. And uh, I, uh, I heard a talk by Joseph Goldstein the other day, and he was talking about the the concept of renunciation and how most people uh, experience that as deprivation. Mm-hmm. Where and he says. Uh, he said that there's another way of thinking about it than uh, that is non-addiction. And so I, uh, I am wondering if, if there's another way to think about refuge, I know refuge is a, uh, you know, it's a core, it's a core concept. Mm -hmm. Buddhism, you know, but, but that's it is a great one that question, not, Fred. It and, does and not I, resonate for me. Yeah, and I love you know it's that's why um, the the concepts that we use in our practice are really really important. And so I encourage you to if refuge doesn't work for you, exchange it for something else. That's why I'm using confidence rather than faith. Um, but but just to explore a little bit that the term refuge. Like for me, you know, it was it was the it, it was symbolic of the mosquito netting over my bed. But maybe you can think of your beautiful house I'm seeing behind you. What what does it mean to you to go into your house after maybe after a trip or after being out and busy and and does the how would you describe coming home? Thank you for that suggestion. It's just a straightforward. <laughs> Thank you. Dan. Um, I'm fine not speaking. I'll, I'll need to go anyway because we end now. But, Very good. Um, yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm good. I found this really helpful. Thank you. Great. You're welcome. So let's just for a couple seconds close our eyes. just appreciate that you took this time to practice, to be here in community. May the benefit of this time together not only benefit you, but every single person that you come in contact with. Thank you so much, everyone. And hope to see you some other time. Bye-bye. Thank you, Andrea.